Hi, welcome to the Transition Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Goldie. Are you worried about becoming a civilian again? Have you just separated from defence or emergency services and want to minimise the stress during transition? Then this podcast is for you. We interview people just like you that are doing fine. No flyers here. These are everyday people like you who have just stepped out of uniform at some point. Our guests are candid about what they did and what worked for them. I'll bet there's some gold nuggets in there for you to model off and make your transition smoother than that might be. So let's cross live to the studio and hear today's guest. Hello, everybody. And today we're here with Robert Bob. How you going, mate? Good, thanks, uh, Travis. Yourself, mate? Good. You're looking good. Yeah, I've got a head for radio. Yeah, (laughs) same here. So we go back a little way, don't we? A little, yeah. Known each other for a while. So we met in Harvey Bay when I was living there. You did. You're the one responsible for me getting into gel ball. Thanks. You poor bastard. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, after 16 years of paintball, it was a great thing to get into gel ball. Yep. Um, and that helps run the program that you're on. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Hard Yakka so that people know a bit about you. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. And first off, thanks for inviting me for the podcast. It's, um, I've listened to it a few times. It's um, get some good stories on there. From real people. Um, yeah, look, Operation Hard Jack has been running for just over 13 years now. It's a military-style youth diversion early intervention training program for young blokes. Uh, youngest we've had has been number of nine-year-olds up to 21. And um, we uh, just run anywhere between 14 days to uh, 28 days programs uh, based on the military style, but also adventure-based, you know, abseiling ropes courses, horse riding. Getting these young fellas back into school, back into society, um, keeping them out of jail. If they've been in, keep them out for going back in again. Just giving them a, a, a future um, and their families, of course, which is just as important. Yep. And you're not the yelly, screamy, on the parade ground type of program, are you? No, it's not a bastardisation program by far. Um, however, it's a very firm program. We don't take their rubbish. Um, they've got to learn that uh, if you want respect, uh, you've got to give respect. And that doesn't mean just to your, your mates or your so-called mates, it's to most people out there. Yep. Uh, if you want respect, you give respect, and, and that's what we're. That's the two major parts is respect and attitude. Awesome. So uh, let's get into the podcast proper. Now people know a little bit about you. So the first question is, if you could tell a discharging veteran one sentence, what would you say? Make contact with your mates and your family the ones that really care for you, um, those that have experienced a lot of issues with you um, that will help you get through. Because most of those have got the same issues um, and have ideas that you can take on board and then pass on to your friends and family. Yep. Now, you didn't spend five minutes in the Army. You did quite a few years um, and you got up the ladder a little bit. So in terms of that, you got out what you do get out. I got out in uh, January 1985. 1985. Yeah, yeah. So things were a little bit different in terms of policy and whatnot back then. Did the Army give you anything to prepare for separation? Did they help you? They helped me, come, um, helped me become the man I became, which was self-reliant, but also um, a great team man, I believe. They gave me the leadership skills. They gave me experience. Uh, however, once they found out I was getting out... That was it. Yep. 
you know, there was no support after that. Um, so I had to get up and do everything myself. Um, and that was a bit of a shock. Um, but give them credit, the time I did in the military helped me overcome, yep. adapt and overcome. So how long did it take or did you ever stop saying, I'm a soldier? Because a lot of people go, well, I'm still a soldier. Like, is that something you struggled with? Well, um, when, I, when I got out, I started up an adventure centre, uh, an adventure training program as well, and, and for fun activities like abseiling and ropes and down at Kangaroo Point Cliffs in Brisbane and was involved in the first ropes course um, at Brisbane Forest Park in the Brisbane district. And um, I used to take people canoeing up the Brisbane River and up the Mary River and places like that. And I used to be proud of what I achieved in the military, so I'd talk to people about it. Until one day my wife said to me, um, oh, the guy, a young fellow over there thinks you're full of it. And I went, what, what do you mean? So I confronted him. He said, you couldn't have done what you've done in that short period of time, even though it was a quite a time. You mm-hmm. couldn't have done it. You're too young. And I didn't worry about it, explaining it to him any further. I just shut my mouth. And from then on, I never spoke about the military until someone actually asked me. And I think that was, to me, in some cases, was, was the worst thing I could have done. Mm-hmm. I needed to tell people, not as an egotistical person, just need to be proud of what I did do in the military and to go forward. Um, but I shut up for years. Yeah. Um, and it's only been in the last probably decade now that I've probably opened up more and more about what I achieved. I would imagine back then it was quite a bit of a boys' club, uh, more so than it was for me in the 90s. So how did you find leaving that behind, the tribe, as it were? That was the most difficult part. Look, I had a good family. I've got a beautiful wife, two, two grown-up sons, as, as you know, the situation. Um, and I had, you know, her family, my family. Um, lost a bit of contact with the mates. Uh, that was the toughest part. Um, I made friends, um, but not in my definition of mates mm. over those years. And I think that was the toughest bit. I, again, had to adapt and overcome. Um, but I had that support from my wife um, and uh, some friends and family. Um, yeah, look, when you work so close with people, as you know, you know they experience the same things that you do, the, the high points, the low points. No one can understand it, really, outside, even though they, they try. Um, so that was the hardest part. And it took me quite a while to um, realise that I am who I am, um, I'm lucky, and to move forward. Yep. Um, do you mourn for those days at all, even with all those things that you've done since? Do you ever go, oh, geez, I'd love to be back there doing that again? Um, not really. <laughs> um, <laughs> Is that because your knees don't forgive you? <laughs> yeah. Um, look, I made a decision that, that time to get out. I was being posted as an instructor down to commandos at the time, um, and um, I chose my family because I would have been away a lot more and I was already away a fair bit. Mm. And the boys were only young and my wife was you know, young as well, obviously. Um, and it was a choice I made with her and I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I made it because my family grew stronger. You know? um, so when you make a decision, put all the pros and cons together and if the pros outweigh the, 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 the negatives, then you, you, and you make that decision on the positives. Um, I miss the mateship of, of, of being that close, but now I've got those same mates who I served with in some great units that we're, we get together now um, mm. and then the last decade or so. Um, so. And, of course, with you getting me into the gel ball, um, I've formed that team and I'm part of that team and so I've kind of still living it, so yeah. I haven't completely forgotten it. 
And you've been known to go to military simulation gel ball games too and get all dressed up and shoot people and stuff. Mate, yeah, of course, you know that. Um, you, you, you spoke to me of that last one um, when you come past that golf buggy and you asked me, how's it going? And I was just full of bubbles. Yep. And I just said, living the dream. I'm having a ball. Yep. Um, you make life the way you want it to be. It um, doesn't always work out that way, but if you put your effort in um, and you look at your, your positive points... And you can enjoy life. So a lot of people focus on what's hard about getting out. What did you find easy? What were the things that came naturally? Geez, I tell you what, um, yeah, we're going back away now. Um, a lot of those things are, <laughs> are kind of uh, left. I think the well, the easy part was having my family. Mm. It, it has to come back to that the whole time. Yep. You know. My, You've met Julie. You know, she, she was always so very supportive of whatever I did. Yep. Um, I couldn't ask for anyone better when it comes to that. Um, so whenever we made a decision, we made it together. And um, and I think that teamwork from mates to, and myself to my teamwork with my wife and myself um, made it easier. Had you had your kids before you left or was that after? No, before. We had two little boys, two young fellas um, when I left. Um, one was four and the other was... Seven. Now, one would be 44 and one is 40. Mm. My age. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah son. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at some point you, you had an epiphany that was, all right, I, don't, I need to do things on the outside of the military. Is that, would that be a fair characterisation? Yeah. When, look, <clears throat> never, ever, ever make a decision half-hearted. Never, ever make a decision with certain minimal amounts of information gather as much as you can again as i said before the good points the bad points so when i my wife we decided to get out because it's her life as well um and when i was serving she was serving she had to put up with it all um so when we decided to get out we planned it beforehand how we were going to do it and my wife was scared of heights and i said well if we're going to get out we're going to do this together you're going to have to become an abseiling instructor repelling instructor and she forced herself to do it. And I can tell you now, military mates or not, she became one of the best because she had an empathy for people. That made our work so much better because people she could relate to people. Um, better than me because I was never scared of heights. Mm. You know? um, so she was that yin in our yang, I guess, if you want to put it that way. Yeah, I certainly remember teaching abseiling at the recruit school and shaking the top of the tower and doing it because I wasn't scared of it but, and having people who were absolutely terrified. I thought it was funny back then, but... Um, yeah, a bit of empathy wouldn't have gone astray. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, look, you know, we, when you look at the number of people we've put through other programs over the years, 95,000, 96,000, um, you know, statistics, our statistics say 40% of people on the planet are scared of heights. Mm. So it's, it only becomes a weakness if you don't try to beat it. And, th- and that's the thing you have to do, and that's what we did when, they, when we decided to get out, do something that I, I enjoyed doing, um, something similar the military but in a civilian manner um but the firm but fairness and all that and um yeah, it's been great it's been a ride that's for sure mm-hmm. so what empowers you now number of things but probably the two most important things that keeps me going is my wife who you know is in dementia care now which is a big kick in the butt still gets to me Mm. Um, she still remembers me every time I go in and I always look forward to that thing in most days and the loss of our older son Brad 
um, who had worked on the program with us as a trainer, um, was taken in a car crash. They'd be kicking my butt if I gave up. And I, I can be honest, it became really difficult and I can kind of relate in some way where you don't feel as though there's a future, that why should you continue going on if you've lost two, you know, two, two of the most important people in your life. Mm. Um, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a challenge, but I know that they'd be kicking my ass <laughs> um, if I decided to stop and that, that keeps me going. They, they're that, that's probably the main reasons. The others are just the wanting to help. Um, sick and tired of seeing kids um, going to jail or sick and tired of kids stealing cars or breaking and enters and families suffering, you know, parents ringing me, good parents, you know, ringing me saying they're just in tears and big strong dads are in tears because they don't know what to do. Mm. They've tried every single thing. They're the things that keep you going in life. So when you got out, you did the Army Cadet Instructor thing. Is that what led you into that youth development world where you went, all right, I'm dealing with kids now. I've, I've learned a little bit about kids. I've had my own. Um, there's this niche here. There's this gap here where people aren't helping. Um, I was asked to get, get involved with the cadets, but uh, we were running programs, you know, for about eight years before that, um, from corporate to um, government departments, employed, uh, unemployed, um, youth, youth district areas, you know, but then the Army Cadets, I just got involved because I wanted that bit of military. Again, they, they needed some more structure, so I got involved in that and helped them. Um, it didn't start me on it, but I guess it kind of boosted it a little bit. Yep. Um, are you perfect or do you still struggle? Oh, I, I'm human. Yep. Yeah, I, I still struggle. Um, you might have just noticed then when you asked me about it and I was talking talk about my wife and son, you know, I nearly teared up. Yep. Not ashamed of that. <clears throat> um, it, ain't, it ain't weak to speak. No, no, that's right. You, and, and I think that's what um, having good mates and and you know, like we go back to gel ball. Okay, for example, um, you know, gel ball owes me nothing. Mm. It owes me literally nothing. I owe it so much because it's it makes me laugh. It makes me have fun. It um, I meet great people um, who want to just get out there and have fun on the field. I see whole families of different ages, mums and dads and kids playing it. Yep. Um, then we get into the serious part where the Millsim Mill software guys get dressed up and get involved in that. Um, yep. I owe it so much. It, it's kept my sanity a bit more. So one of the things I can say to people that struggle, get out there and find something you want to be passionate about um, and, and do it. Don't hold back. Mm. Just just do it. Um, and if you feel as though you're still struggling, find one, two, three, eight, twenty, thirty 20, 30 people that are going to listen to you. Um, just for our international listeners and those that don't know what gel ball is, it's a bit like airsoft. It's a bit like the old BB guns, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and, and you've done paintball. <coughs> so, paintball has a lot of firearms rules here in Australia. So, it, it was a natural progression in some ways for you to go down that airsoft style route. Yeah. Look, um, um, paintball was, you know, it's a it's a great sport here. It still is in many ways. Uh, those that love it will stick by it. Um, and uh, I had it for 16 years, and we met some good people there, but it had limitations, you know. It cost, you know, you had to get licences, you um, uh, get it registered as a shooting gallery, and you had to mm. keep upgrading it and all that sort of stuff. And the cost of things was high, you know. So, and you could, in Queensland, you had to be 15 years and older. Mm. We're with the gel ball. Yeah, I transferred the gel ball, uh, paintball charter with respect, safety and, and honesty, um, straight across to the same feeling of, of with gel ball. 
you know, the same guidelines as gel ball. Um, it's just uh, as part of our side of it. It's just as strict, but it's still more open, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, and the age, there's no age limit. The only thing I've got um, in relation to age is if any kid that's eight years and younger has to have an adult play on the field with them. Yeah. And when they go out and play, the other people with a different type of glasses, um, there's a distance shooting and yep. they have to be more careful and the respect is there. Yeah. Um, if you could put a uniform back on tomorrow at rank and seniority, would you? I love seeing the tick in your phone. It was like tick, tick, <laughs> tick, tick, tick. Yeah. Um, if there was a need, if, if there was a need, um, I think at my age, 34, <laughs> um, <coughs> 66, um, I think I'm over the health issues more than anything. I've, um, I can still run around. I can still carry a pack. I, I've proven that. I can still climb mountains um, and, and I can still do it for a long period of time. Uh, a lot of older guys can do it, but they can't do it for a long period of time. So I've been blessed. You know, with a mother that's 93 and still kicking and four foot seven a battle, you know, I think I've inherited her genes, yep. which is great. Um, if there was a need for the country, um, a real need, then, yeah, I probably would. So if World War Three broke out, world worldwide war, that'd be enough? I'm not talking about, oh, we've got to go to Afghanistan and do yeah, this yeah. or um, go somewhere in peacekeep. That's, that's really a, a, a tough question because... Do I think of the country and go and do it or do I think of my family and stay and defend them mm. and look after them and make them safe back here? Um, I think that would have to be an answer that I'd have to give if that does happen, to be quite honest, Trav. Yep. Um, what is the highlight to you of all the things that you've done since you got out? What was the, the one thing that stands out above all else? Well, I, I think everything, the whole thing would be family, to be quite honest. I, I know I harp on it, but um, I've been blessed again there, you know. Um, family would be the, the, my greatest achievement. Boys ask me a lot on the program, on the Hard Yakka program, and other people say, what's your best job you've ever done? What's your best thing you've ever done in your life? Um, and they also say, what's the hardest? What's the hardest job you've ever done? And you know my, a bit of my background. I go, well, being a good parent is the hardest job on the planet. Mm. But it's the most rewarding when you, when the outcomes are great and they've been great. Uh, you've got to put in, in, in an effort to get the results. Um, outside of the family, um, I think the, the, the biggest one is being able to... Don't take this the wrong way, it's not an egotistical thing, but when people that you've helped over those many years contact you and say what they're doing now, um, that's just a great feeling. You know, when they turn around and say, thank you so much. And when we lost Brad, you know, the amount of emails and texts and that were saying, you know, he was a great man. Um, you know, how proud I, we became of him even more so. Mm. And he did things that we didn't even realise he was doing. So when you get those sort of people who you've helped over all those years um, make contact and just thank you and let you know where they're at now in a positive way, it's that's the best too. So a lot of the time you've spent out of the military, you've effectively been self-employed, running a business, doing that stuff. What things can a veteran take from the military and use really well in um, running a business? Well, if they've listened to their mentors, that is good senior rank. I was lucky. I, when I joined as a 17-year-old, I had Vietnam veterans still in. 
A lot of them, number of them stayed in, a lot of them got out. I had my eyes open, I had my ears open, I knew nothing, um, but I was prepared to listen and um, take it all in. Um, so I think when I got out, um, I passed my knowledge on to people. Uh, I'm still learning. Um, I'm still learning from older people. Um, I'm still learning from younger people, to be quite honest. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things you can do when you get out. Just keep your eyes, keep your ears open, being prepared to change your opinion, because um, sometimes opinions are just that, only yep. opinions, and sometimes you can change them um, if the right uh, message comes across. Listen to other people. Um, take in their mistakes, um, and hopefully you don't, you don't make the same ones. Yep. Yeah, being the sole entrepreneur, the sole owner of a business... Um, what skills in the military came across with you, like time management, that motivation? W- what things did you go, well, that's exactly how I did it in the Army and we're going to do it the same here? Um, well, my diggers might, might say differently, um, but no, they're all good mates to this day still, you know, um, in certain units. So I think it's the leadership. It's the um, understanding of everyone's feelings and emotions within the military as well. That, um, you know, if, if I've always had an open mind, I've always had an open ear. If, if, a, if a digger or, or wants to come, wanted to come up to me and have a chat, I'm, I'm quite happy to do that. There is a time and a place for it, you know, always has been. Outside, um, the guys I have working for me, uh, with me as a team, I don't say um, they're my staff, I say they're my team, you know. Um, so that's what you always did in the military as a team. So I still use those sort of terminologies. Um, I let them come up with ideas. Uh, ultimately, though, it's my, my decision because I'm the one that's on the insurance and on the duty of cares and on the risk assessments. So, But I'm open to any ideas and I'll be honest, quite a number of my ideas I've changed yeah. and it's come from younger guys who have come up with those ideas. I think that's, the, that's the, some of the bigger things. Be prepared to listen and be prepared to change your opinion and I learnt that within the military from these old blokes that when I was young. What were some of the worst habits or ideas or behaviours you had in the military that you had to get rid of on discharge? Drinking, swearing, fighting, <laughs> out night clubbing all night? No, no. Well, that was when I was really young. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but no. Um, I'd imagine going and doing corporate work, you had to learn a different way to talk to people, for example. You know, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. Um I, I didn't talk about my background um, unless it was asked, as I said. But no, it was the way I walked in was the same. The way I presented myself, straight back, looking people straight in the eye. I looked in everybody's eye that was in the room um, or were out in, the, out in the field doing some team activities, activities then um, same sort of thing. It's the way you hold yourself. Um, it, and because it was all my training programs that I ran from whatever level was military-based, they expected that. So I used it. I didn't go overboard. Uh, I remember one program we ran on Fraser Island for a um, managers, and they woke them up at half past five in the morning, and I got them to be um, rung by the reception. They had to get out in three ranks out the front. There was about forty of them, and I did a roll call, but I had to show them how to do it first. Mm. And so, and um, I gave a reward for the best couple that actually came to attention the best and answered their names best and all that. You know, that was the start of the day. Um, so I, I guess I. Watered down is probably the best word. Um, still had the military theme, but it was watered down. Mm. How did you develop um, 
your approach to hard yakka? Like, how did you go, all right, this is the way we're going to attack children with, with some severe behavioural problems? When I got out in 85, <coughs> I wanted to set it up. And um, I'm glad I didn't um, because I was still too green, um, too military then. I think I would have ruined it, to be quite honest. Um, when people turn around and say, um, oh, they need a, a good, firm uh, military you know, theme, uh, no, it doesn't work as well. Um, and anyway, you know, they've tried that in America, they've tried it in New Zealand, they've tried that in the UK, and, and it's fell flat in their ass. Mm. Um, so I'm glad I didn't start it. It wasn't until I ran a lot of youth programs that I realised that there is a, a, you add them both together. You add the military theme, that's why I always say it's a military theme or a military style, it's not full-on military. Um, it's not about breaking their spirit, it's about redirecting their spirit for, for good away from evil, mm-hmm. so to speak. So how we then got into it was after I did all those programs. And then we got a bit of state government grant uh, to run one 28-day program. My wife and I put 20000 of our own money into it because we, we needed statistics. Um, they were all 16 to 21-year-olds at that stage. Uh, there was 14 on it. I'm in contact with most of them still to this day. Um, so a lot of water's gone under the bridge with many boys. <coughs> um, so it's coming to attention, standing at ease, doing room inspections, doing drill, honouring the flag, honouring Australia overall from all nationalities within Australia... Um, but with a youth emphasis as well. Because what we have to remember is what we were like when we were kids. And we were not all great little kids. No. You know, and so if there wasn't someone out there, like a police officer for me when I was younger, um, I'm, you know, I could have gone on even worse and worse. So we're filling that void. Yep. Um, in terms of hardjack, you had some government funding a while. Uh, that got taken away what are the sort of results that you can demonstrate from this style as opposed to a boot camp style where they're yes sir no sir three bags full sir um how do you demonstrate um to the world that your program works better than that what what sort of stats you got well as i said when we lost brad the hundreds and i mean hundreds of uh, messages and phone calls and texts and facebook comments from the boys and their families that have done the program since July 2008. Um, just says it all. The statistics of boys that still contact us to this day. Um, the families, when you put a comment up there, like uh, Julie's birthday on the 13th of August, tell ma'am, I hope she's feeling better. You know, hello, Sir Bob. Uh, please give, my, give ma'am a big hug for me. You know, um, there we get all that all the time. You know, when I had my cancer, the amount of um, concern that the boys and the families had for me, the visits I had from locals. Um, when we lost Brad again, I, as I said, um, a lot of the boys formed a guard of honour wearing the hard jacket hat, and they hadn't they'd done the program way back, and some have only just finished. Um, you you judge your program and those results. Yes, we've got statistics. Um, it's a, it's in the high nineties success rate. But more importantly than those statistics are what happens. Anyone can say I'm doing well um, and we can check on that. But it's another thing when they show 
their empathy, their understanding. When a mother contacts you 12 years later mm. or two years later or six months later and says he's doing so well, um, when, the, when we get called angels, and I'm not an angel, <laughs> far from it. He's not, everyone. He's no, not. No, 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 no. But when you get called that, you know, you've saved our family. You know, I, one story recently, I had to go and get my hernia fixed after the, the cancer store and stuff. And, and I went to the Harvey Bay Hospital and I was waiting in the ad, admissions. And there was other people there as well waiting their turn. And this nurse comes out and says, Sir Bob. And everyone looked at me as if they thought I must have been a knight of something. You know? <laughs> and I stood up and I turned around. It was a mother. She's a nurse, a mother of one of the boys that done our program earlier this year. And um, she gave me a big hug in front of everybody. And when she took me into the ad- admissions, there was doctors and nurses and everyone else. And she said, I'd like everyone to stop doing what you're doing. This is Sir Bob, the, the, the man that runs Operation Hijacker, the program that saved my, our families and my son's life. And I just went, wow. And they all come up. Some gave me hugs. Again, please don't think that's an egotistical thing. That's just a great feeling. Um, and for anyone that needs those sort of great feelings, get out there and help people. It, it is the best thing you can do. And anyway, she told me what he was doing, where he was working in real estate. He's got getting earning his real estate licence. He's trusted through and through. He comes home with a smile on his face. There's no arguments, um, you know, and they're actually trusting him to go to Fraser Island to go and value some land and that sort of stuff. And he's only 18. Mm. Now, what a step forward. Mm. You know, um, I think that that story, and there's hundreds of them, um, probably tells it all. Yep. What, without giving names or pack drill, what, what would you see as the highest achievement that in a turnaround? Um, oh God, there's so many. To be quite honest, I'll give us a couple. Um, well, there was a young fellow. Um, he was from Sydney. Uh, Wonderful family, you know, mother. Um, mum's actually working in psychology and that. Yeah. And um, he was in a gang down in Sydney, uh, one of the leaders, basically. Uh, massive issues. Um, came up onto the program. Um, he flew in in the afternoon, so he was about two hours later than the rest had to come in. And um, very first hour, he was picking on a kid smaller than him. So one of my team members got him and said, you want to take on someone like that? How about you take on me? I'm your, I'm your size as you are to him. I am you to you. So how about you take it on? Well, he didn't go too far, put it that way. Um, and then it just started to progress from there. Now, when he went home, he gave us a hug and everything else. Mum came up, proud as punch. He did the march out parade. He honoured the flag and everyone else and put the effort in. He just did a complete turnaround. He then went home. And I can't tell you every single thing, but mm. some of the, one of the things he did do, he pulled one of his mates out of the gang. He brought him home. This is probably three months after. He brought him home and his mum said to me, um, intro- he introduced me to his mate and she said, I, I went, hello, how are you? And he goes, yeah, and walked off. So this young fella grabbed his mate and said, hey, my mum showed you respect. You stand down, you say, I show her respect back. And she said, I just couldn't believe that... My son said that. And we all three of us sat down and spoke for the next two hours. Mm. So he pulled a mate out. So not only did it help him and the family, it actually helped his mate as well. Yep. A bit of a pay it forward, if you will. Oh, yeah, most definitely. So the, the, our, the program is far bigger than what even we can probably realise. Mm. You know? 
I would imagine that with this sort of work, the financial rewards are nothing like the emotional rewards you get from the work. But please tell me you're doing okay. <laughs> well, we survive. Yeah. We survive. Um, we made a decision um, a while back that we'd only do the odd corporate and make good money um, and the rest would be concentrating on the hard jacker um, and then the now, of course, the gel ball. Um, it, it's, it, when you put a cost on something, you have to make it at least break even and you have to live. You, you've got your bills. Um, we don't get – we're not a charity. I was on seven committees at one stage uh, with no no monetary um, outcome for us. So I thought that if I'm going to do that, then I have to make money. Simple. Um, I don't want to go on to a government subsidies and Centrelink and that sort of stuff and never mm. wanted to do that. Um, so you have to make some sort of money to live and pay your bills and insurances and, and the ongoing. So with Gelball, for example, some of that money – um, goes some of the profits go to keeping the cost down. Yep. Um, we get a bit of a grant sponsorship from a, a gentleman that passed away through a trust, which has been absolutely excellent. We've been able to discount for families. Yep. In some cases, um, just about covered the lot. We've raised money through Gelball to help cover um, a, a, a grandparents are looking after their young kid, mm. so they they had nothing, and um, so we covered the whole cost for that. So yeah, we're doing good. It's it's good. It's okay. We're not, I'm not um, I'm not a millionaire. Uh, never aimed in my life to become a millionaire, um, or a th- or a thousandaire. Um, but it's I'm I'm happy as happy as I can. My wife's in a safe area, you know. Um, I've got seven grandchildren, you know. Um, two two daughter-in-laws and another son, and my my side of the family and my wife's side of the family. So and good mates. As I said, money's not money's not everything. You've got to have it to survive. But if you go out with an attitude of I've got to make a million um, and you're unhappy, it's not worth it. Mm. So, like, if we look at somebody that works in the mines in fly-in, fly-out here in Australia, you might be on heaps of dollars, but do dollars make you happy? Probably to some it does. (laughs) I guess it's a personality, isn't it? Mm. And and look, if that's what they want to do, good luck to them. Go for it. Do whatever you want. If if, If you come home and... And you look in your bank account and you've got money that you can go to different places. You can travel, well, not so much travel the world at the moment, but, mm. you know, you can travel, you can do things. Well, if that makes you happy, do it. Mm. But if you go out there and you bitch and you complain about being away all the time, well, maybe you need to look at something different. My other son is a, um, works in the gas lines and he's away for three weeks at a time. Um, and when he comes home, uh, the quality he has with his family is unbelievable. I think that's that actually we'd like to think it comes from the way my wife and I did when I was in the army. I was away, but when I came back, it was a quality over quantity. Mm. Um, so if it suits the family, then I guess good luck to them. Yeah, I, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. Quality time isn't sitting in a room together doing different things. No. It, you've, you've got to be present. And that's a lesson that I've learnt with my partner that um, because we're living apart due to COVID and stuff, um, when you're there, you've got to make that extra effort to be in the moment. You do. I, I can go right back when I was still serving. I'd come back after weeks and weeks, months away, and I'd be dirty, filthy, and I'd really want to have a shower. I'd come home. If it was after school and the boys are home, they'd want me to go down the backyard and play cricket or rugby league or whatever, so I'd just go down there. And when they were satisfied, you know, and I was even more worn out, then it was great. But it was a good feeling. Mm. It's got quality of time. Right through when the boys rolled and I was out of the military... I'd make time to go play golf with them. I hate golf. 
but I go and play golf. Wow. I, I, don't, I, I don't like general fishing, but I used to take them fishing. Yeah. And, you know, they do that, you know. Um, it, it was when, – when you come back to what that question was, what is something you learned from the Army that you put into practice, lead by example. And that's not just with people you're working with or for. It's your family. Lead by example. If you want your kids – um, to get the best and to become the, some of the best, you know, with, and have a good, safe, decent life, respectful life, then lead by example. Do the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, be strong as you can. Um, when I had cancer, my older son Brad was concerned he was going to lose me. Um, that's his love for me. Mm. You know, you, you can't beat that. No. I mean, he didn't lose me, but still. Um, Not yet. No, no. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's lead by example there. That's a, and probably one of the other things I could have said earlier on yep um so if anyone's got somebody at home that i think oh maybe that program's for my son or my nephew or this guy in my street um how like what advice would you give them uh, before they come to you coming back to the money factor um family is more important if and and look take this as it's meant if you can both go out there and work and earn money and your family's good and everything's going, well, do it. But at the end of the day, one of you may have to give up work. doesn't matter whether it's the father or the mother, you know. One has to be at home um, to be there for the kids, um, to, to spend that quality time with them and, and in some many cases a bit of quantity time. Um, don't stick them in a room. Um, don't get babysitters in all the time. You know, spend that time with them. It's... it's the first five years are so important for starters. Um, and then after that, you know, um, a, a nice, very young man, very good young man who, um, you know, who works for me now, um, when, I won't mention names, of course, uh, but if he hears this, he'll know who I'm talking about. Love you, mate. He's like, he's like a son to me. And his missus is like a daughter to me. And, and their little boys, grandson to me. And um, he said when um, the bub was born, he said, I've got no connection. Got no connection. Um, what's wrong with me? Um, there's no emotion for it. I said, mate, did you have that bub in your belly for nine months? Did you go through all that? You went with it with your missus, but you didn't have that same sort of feelings and motion up and down, that sort of stuff. Give it time. Spend your quality time with them. And it starts now. And you can't separate them now. He just loves him. He adores him. And, 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 and it comes from the boy, little fellow himself as well, back. Mm. Yeah? And the family are just a really good little family. And, and they'll last. So it's a quality of time. So if you're struggling with your young fella, whether he's 8, 9, 10, 15, be firm but fair. Listen to them. Um, also, I believe that as they get older, give them that little bit of freedom so they understand if, if, they, if they... As one year older, you've got this bit of freedom extra. One year next, you get a little bit more freedom. You know, if a, There's so many different reasons why young blokes go on the, on the warpath, basically. Um, they go on the sidetrack. Um, you've got to find out why. And um, our program is designed to find out why. And again, it just no, may not mean your family, if you're listening, but a lot of the time we find out there's quite a few of them have been sexually abused. Mm. And they won't talk to anyone because they, it's such an embarrassment. They won't talk to their mums, they won't talk to their dads, they won't talk to their mates, they won't talk to social workers. But after spending quite a amount of time, 24 hours a day with us, and we get to talk to them, we find out. Um, just just be understanding as well. Firm but fair. So if 
they've gone and had a look at that. They've had a crack at that, and they go, all right, maybe a diversion program or a youth program is for me. How do they get in touch with you? Um, or how do they look you up and go, is this? Yeah, just just like Google, you could top in, uh, type in Operation Hard Yakka. Um, generally, I don't push it because um, it's getting out there. Word of mouth now is massive. Um, it's been on a current affairs. It's been on today tonight. Um, but um, if you Google it, it'll come up probably on the second page. Um, I don't, you know, um, I want it out there, of course. But uh, you get contacted by these Google experts and they want to do this and want to do that. And no, just let it run. So even if it's not on the front page, go to the next one and you'll, you'll see us um, on there. Uh, so you can go to our website. Um, which is? Uh, www.ozadventures, which is ozadventures.com.au. Go straight into the Hard Yakka section and there's a referral form there. Uh, we don't use that website much because of Facebook, but that's what you can do. But if you go to our Facebook site, which is Oz Adventures, um, Operation Hard Jagger. Um, there's our contact details there. It's all on there. And you'll also, when you get to that page, you'll see some videos and you'll see photos and you'll see testimonials and you'll see a lot of other things as well. So if Rupert Murdoch's listening to this and wants to give you a little bit of money, what's the best way for somebody like that, a philanthropist that goes, yeah, I can, I can throw a bit of money at this, how do they get in touch with you to do that? Same way. Yep. Give me a call. Send me an email. So fly in, come and have a look at the program. Yeah. Do, do you invite oh. people to come and look? Look, there are people. There are knockers out there about it. You know, um, <clears throat> that's you know, you can't make kids do this. You can't make kids do that. They have rights. They have rights. Of course, kids have rights, but they have responsibilities too. And that that's that's some of the misconceptions that parents have. When what what uh, I get a bit of on a high horse when it comes to this when. You get a parent that'll say, "Well, I, I don't, I don't smack my child. I don't do this. I don't, you know, don't have to raise my voice, you know." And then you find out later they've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old. You know, well, hold mm. on a minute. You know, you really need to wait till they get a little bit older mm. to start experience. See if they're going to do the same thing. Because most of the boys we get on the program are from really wonderful parents, really mm. wonderful, caring, loving parents. Um, so I invite people to come and have a look. Um, anyone that condemns it, and there have been few. Uh, those that have bothered to come out, and great, well done, uh, they change their minds. But if people come out and see how we do it and they still go away feeling negative about it, that's their choice. Democratic country, all right? But um, most of them have, have, have changed their attitude and they support us all the time. Cool. Um, so what I'll do is in the notes that go on the bottom of the podcast, I'll put those links in there uh, for everyone to... Put it. I'm not going to put Bob's phone number up there because he gets a million calls a day at all times of day and night. So please reach out to him on Facebook or on his website. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on, Bob. Is there any last words, sage words of wisdom that old Gandalf over here with the grey hair wants to share with everyone? <laughs> Look, there is, I guess there is another one and that's Travis does a, a great job and I know sometimes he gets down a little bit on himself. He shouldn't, all right? Um, support Trav or tractor, whichever one you want to call him. Um, he does a wonderful job here. He does his best, one of the good good, good blokes. Um, and I guess he's the reason I got into gel ball, but also he's the reason through gel ball, uh, my organisation there donates money to wounded heroes. Um, and that's on behalf of my beautiful wife and my wonderful son, Brad, who we lost, um, to from each player. And it's, it's a privilege and honour to be able to do that on their behalf. 
and we'll continue to do that as long as um, we're able to do it. So, Tractor, to you, mate. Cheers. Thanks, mate. All right, if you want to support me, I've got a little ad that I'm going to put up now so you can listen to me pimping myself. Anyone that knows me knows it's really hard. That's why I had to record this because I can't say it over and over again. Thanks again, Bob. Cheers, mate. G'day, it's Travis here. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you're wondering what the best way to support me is, it's simply by sharing this podcast to friends and those that it might help. If you'd like, you can also support me via PayPal or Patreon. Some people send me a significant amount, but all I want is a few people to send me $1 a month. It helps with the SEO and the algorithms, and it offsets the costs of hosting the show. It also helps me to upgrade equipment as I need to. If you'd like to come on the show, or if you have a veteran-owned business, I'm happy to support you if our values align. Contact my PA, Roxy, on 0439 473 705. You can also send me mail to 221 Grindle Road, Wakehold, Queensland, 4076. Thanks for your support, and I hope that you're enjoying the show.